Hello, I'm Kristen Marchand, and this is the Aviango Line, a podcast that delves into the unique culture and local heritage of the Upper Madawaska Valley. It's sponsored by the Station Keepers MV, a nonprofit organization made up of over 100 volunteers, all dedicated to preserving and promoting that local Upper Madawaska Valley culture and unique history centered on the old Barry's Bay train station. It was built in 1894 and remains standing in 2020 alongside Canada's oldest wooden water tower that used to service all those old OA and PS steam engines that once united places like Whitney, Madawaska, Barry's Bay, Wilno, Killaloo, Cumbermere and Palmer Rapids over the past 126 years. For your listening pleasure today, we have another Back in the Day show with host Martina Koulis. She's talking with another remarkable person, Marita Rakuski, who was born and raised, or as they say in these parts, bread and buttered, in Barry's Bay. Currently, at age 83, she has a rich and vivid memory of growing up here in town. Added to that, Marita has a remarkable facility with language that allows her to paint exceedingly vivid and detailed pictures of what it was like to live here in Barry's Bay during the Second World War and beyond. In fact, Marita's memory is so accurate and her words so detailed, as you will soon discover, that she can easily take us all for a walk down Main Street in the 1940s and 50s and name practically everyone who lived or worked in what we now know as the Opiango Line. So let's not waste another moment and instead join Martina and hear what Marita has to say. Hi, I'm Marita Rakuski of Mapsky. I'm 83 years old. I was born, raised, baptized, confirmed, Holy Communion, a member of St. Hedwig's Church. I went to school at St. Joseph's, right next door to the church. It's not there now. Uh, I started in grade one. In 1943, the school had four classrooms downstairs and four classrooms upstairs and a home economics classroom in the basement on the girls' side of the school. The school had a boys' entrance and a girls' entrance. Currently, The boys' entrance would be on Pope John Paul Boulevard, or whatever it's called, after Pope John, but at that time it was part of the boys' street, which really was an extension of Bay Street now, and the girls' street was Dunn Street. Now, there were no names on streets when I was growing up. So, grade one, two, three, and 11, 12 were on the first floor of the school. Upstairs, there was the rest of the, of the grades, including 9, 10. So I graduated from there, but there was no graduation. You just finished school. When you finished, you finished. I was involved in a few extracurricular things at the time. I took Polish classes, and the, the uh, Polish sisters came from 
someplace in the States, I'm going to say Michigan, I think it was Michigan, because there's a good Polish population there. And we, I went personally, and my two brothers, we went to Polish classes. It was like summer school. I did that. So later on, a lay person by the name of Elizabeth Edmanski Shala, she taught Polish classes after school. So we, my mom and dad spoke Polish at home, but we had a kind of a slangy English Polish bringing up. But everybody seemed to understand each other. The, the teachers at St. Joseph's School were all St. Joseph's sisters. I never had a lay teacher, ever, until I went to nursing, which was very interesting, really, because the teachers then were not uh, elementary or senior or, or high school. If you were a teacher, you taught wherever you fit in. It didn't matter if it was grade one or it didn't matter if it was grade 10. That's how it was. I had Sister Leona, who was a Harrington from Killaloo originally. No, sorry, I don't think she was a Harrington, sorry. She was a Hunt, she was Father Hunt's sister. I think I got that right, I hope I did anyway. And she taught me in grade one and in grade four. So in high school, I had a teacher that taught me organizational skills really taught not just me, the whole class, organizational skills. I, I, I Currently, I forgot her name. Oh, sorry, I just remembered, Sister Carmelita. I had her in grade 9 and 10. Later on, she taught kindergarten, when kindergarten happened, lay, much later after my time, and she taught kindergarten in the lower grades, so you know where I'm coming, where I'm going with that. They taught whatever was there to teach at that time. In grade three, I had a, a, a St. Joseph sister by the name of Sister Noreen. And she was very dedicated to St. John Bosco. And we now, currently, in 2020 and have had for probably 30 years, St. John Bosco School here in Barry's Bay. So I can tell you a little bit about that story. She, she really liked St. John Bosco and we had, uh, probably what I would say an artsy kind of class that we learned how to act and perform and do that kind of thing. And we learned the history of St. John Bosco via acting. And I can tell you who the, who St. John Bosco was. It was, it was, uh, what was his first name? Oh God, it'll come to me, Olszewski. Clemmy Olszewski. So we had concerts in the classroom and acting, acting actually. And the house was made of poles, like the home, the stage, and burlap. That was the stage. So moving on, grade four was Sister Leona again. I skipped a grade there someplace. I was, I don't know if it was five or six, one of, one of those grades I skipped. And then on to Sister Bertil, who was a hunt as well. I, now, I, I may have to research if, if Sister Leona was a Harrington or a Hunt. I, I'm now thinking maybe she was a Harrington because Sister Bertil was a Hunt and she taught seven and eight. So I had her for seven and eight, Sister Mildred for nine and ten, and 
that, oh, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I did, when I was in grade 9 and 10, the school was overcrowded with children because in those days families had large numbers of children. So when I got to high school, our high school was an old school that was situated where the beer store is in Value Mart. So I went to school grade 9, 10 and onwards there. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk about the numbers of children in the classroom that started in grade one. In my class in grade one, we were probably 30-some. When we graduated from high school, when I graduated from high school in 1954, we might have been 10 out of that class. And some left at grade eight, some left at grade nine, 10, and so on. And the ones that were left, I could name myself. I went into nursing. Another young lady by the name of Angela Hildebrandt went into nursing. Jacqueline Trubinsky went into the St. Joseph Sisters and ended up a teacher. Dolores Chipier went into secretarial study. Jackie Blosky, I think got married, I'm not sure. But I think so, because I don't remember if she had a career. The boys, Bob Rakowski, he went on to work at Eaton's in Ottawa. Leonard Pick went to work for Bell Canada. Clem Olszewski went to Atomic Energy of Canada. I'm probably missing one or two, but that was basically our class, our class. At one point during the high school years, I had a student in my class by the name of Wayne Skuse, and I don't believe Wayne graduated totally from high school, but he also was the fireman at the school, so we were warm. Hard to believe that a student way back then would keep us warm in school, but he went to the, to the school to put the fires on and kept us going. And I still, to this day, ask about him because his daughter works at Tony Anthos and she's been there for 40 years. So I ask about him and he's well and lives in Bancroft. So that's kind of interesting. My family, I'm the oldest of seven and we're like three families, but we're one family. I'm 83. My other, my brother next to me is 81, and the next one is 79. We, the three of us, went to the school that I'm telling you uh, that was situated on Rompiongo Street. That's where all three of us graduated from there. My two middle sisters went to St. Joseph's, and for some reason, I don't know why, and I never asked why. They went to the convent in Cumbermere, St. Mary's Convent in Cumbermere, and graduated from there, from high school. My two, my two youngest family members, my brother and my sister, graduated from Opiongo High School years later. There's uh, 16 or 17 years between my brother and 21 between my youngest sister. So I was long gone when they well, my youngest sister wasn't even born, actually, then. And, and my youngest brother was one in 1953 when I left 
Barry's Bay. So that kind of, oh, and I need to talk a little bit about the home ec room. Well, we learned how to set the, well, I didn't because I missed out. When, when I was in grade seven, it was in grade eight. And when, it was in, when I was in grade eight, it was in grade seven. To this day, I don't like baking or cooking or do any of that kind of stuff. So I always blamed it on missing out. But anyway, we were taught how to make beds and how to dust and how to clean and how to cook and how to bake. And we did all that. Or, or I didn't, but the students that did, did that. But it was only the girls who learned that. Or yes, the just the girls. Just oh. the girls. So back to the school. The girls had a washroom in the basement on the girls' side of the street, and the boys had a washroom on the boys' side of the street. Wow, can you imagine Tess saying that to girls and boys today in the <laughs> 21st century? Uh, anyway, I have very good memories of my school days here. I'm now going to talk a little bit about the church, what we did at the church as kids. And uh, probably I'm going to backtrack a little bit. In, in my own family, we were seven. Every one of us graduated from high school. All of us did well in life. We did something career-wise and went on to school or business or whatever. All seven of us. We were never, how, how should I put it? We were never made to do what we did. It was just sort of expectant of us. I guess that's the best way I can put it. It was, and I'm talking high school. I was in high school in 1949-50, way back then. And for me, it was just just sort of expected. And the rest of them too, the rest of the family, I think. So we just did it. So for a big family, that was something in those days. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very common to have everyone. No, no, no. That's very impressive. Uh-huh. So, I wanna, now I'm going to go to the church. The parish priest was Monsignor Peter Bernatsky, and he was well ahead of his time as far as what the parish should do or what the school children should do. When the Felician sisters, this, these Polish sisters, came from Michigan, we, we always had a concert, a Polish concert, and I'm a kind of a good dancer, was then and still am. And I, we were all dressed up in Polish costumes, and my partner was Hank Czapeski. So we put on dances and skits and stuff like that for many years, for many years. and I, and. Oh, God, I love my costume. And, and I think a lot, a lot of people would remember the skirt was red and it was lacy at the bottom and lots of satin ribbon and the top had a blouse, white blouse, and we had a little, I had a little vest and it had crisscrossed in the front with uh, lacing and uh, we had flowers in our hair and sort of ballerina shoes on our feet. But the boys, the boys had white outfits balloon pants and rubber boots to their black rubber boots to their knees. I guess that was common in Poland, I presume, because that was the costume. Oh my God. So so the dancing was fun. Gosh, it was fun. 
And that was entertaining because it was entertaining for us. We had to learn all that and put it on for the parish or for the students from the school or whomever. So that was lots of fun. And Monsignor Bernatsky, as I said, was a man ahead of his time in the priesthood and in growing up. He was a young man. And we had, he started movie theater, movies. We had movies in the basement of the church every weekend, Saturday, Sunday, all kinds of movies, current movies, black and white. Yeah, and the place would be jam-packed with people. He was very instrumental in keeping children out of trouble and involved. Below the church, that was all church property at one time. It probably still is some of it to this day. There was a, a rink there. We used to call it the rink shack. Well, we had an outdoor rink and eventually we got lights and music and that's where we skated and the boys played hockey on the rink. And there was a canteen and whatever. So considering we were living in this small town in Barry's Bay, I can honestly say that we had things to do. And I can't ever remember anybody that I went to school with that got into any big difficulty. And I'm sure maybe there was, but I don't recall that, so I'm saying no, that I can't, really, with kids that I was involved with in school. The, all right, now we're still in church, so there were many altar boys. Most of the boys were altar boys. I know my two brothers were altar boys then, and I remember my mother washing the I don't know what, surpluses, the little surpluses, and they all had to be pleated and tied. And I thought, good God. Anyway, that's what they wore, the, the, uh, the altar boys. Black soutans and these surpluses on top, and some of them had lace on the bottom, and they were very elaborate. And the girls were in the choir. So I was in the choir for many years, from the time we, could, we were allowed to go. And the choir in those days at St. Hedwig's Church was right up in the loft. There was, the, where the choir is today, was where families sat. Actually, my family had a pew on that level, where, on that level, where now is the choir, currently, in 2020. But we were one level higher. That's not there anymore. Uh, people really went to church in those days. Everybody went to church. There were two additions added on to the level that my family's pew was, to the, I'm gonna call it a balcony. Two level, two side balconies were added. Eventually the balconies were taken down as people declined going to church. How sad is that? And the second where my family sat now is the choir. So, you know, people can't go up there. So I sang in the choir there until I left actually. I can't remember exactly when St. Joseph's School stopped on Opiongo Street, it probably was somewhere in the early 60s because I believe Opiongo High School started in, I'm going to say 67 or 69, somewhere around there. So where Value Mart is, we had, we graduated from the rink, outdoor rink, to this elaborate township, Sherwood Jones and Burns in the village of Barry's Bay, huge rink on Main Street where Value Mart is now, and skating and hockey. My two brothers were very involved, good hockey players, 
Paul and Kenneth were good hockey players, and I can name other people, Jack Vitkuski, Jack Billings, uh, Jerome Sabalski, whole raft of people. And they played teams in the area, Killaloo, I guess, and Eganville and Douglas and Whitney. But it was Whitney that you could hear from here to Pembroke. It, it, it was so competitive and so noisy. And that went on for years, for years. Eventually, that rink was condemned, or it needed something, or rather new rafters or something. And then, uh, then it was torn down, and the property was sold, and we now have our current arena here in Barry's Bay. The boys played my brothers. My, when I say my, the boys, I'm talking about my two brothers, the three of us that, that were the oldest, because I was never around when my rest of my siblings were going to school or what they were doing, really, because I wasn't here. I was away. So my two brothers had paper routes. My one brother started with the Stedman store. I think he said when he was 12, unpacking boxes. My other brother was a paper boy for the Pembroke Observer for many years. I babysat some, not much, some, for Murray Daly. And his children were Paul and Peter and Maureen and, oh, I'm missing one. Maureen and, oh, it'll come to me. The restaurant that I worked at was called, well, this is slang for Ambrose Polibetsky, what they used to call Jason's. When he put that building up on Main Street, it was first, first a restaurant. I worked there, and to this day, I still talk about families that I, that were courting in those days, would come in for a meal or a tea or a sandwich or something. The cook then was a man, a gentleman by the name of Dominic Lukasavich from Whitney, and Mrs. Pogatsky cooked. I was, I was a waitress weekends and I guess after school. From there, I decided that I had enough waitressing, so I went. I worked in Pogatsky's general store until I left. Interesting kind of life, you know. When I look back at this, and I think, God, yeah, I guess we had a pretty good goal. Uh, in my we my family lived on Pog Lake Road, on this side of the tracks, and when I say that, I I mean that literally. The railroad went through town, and we lived on on the town side of the railroad. And in those days, when I was just a kid, yeah, there there were people called tramps on the trains. And in today's world, it would be people that would get on and go from point A to point B. Maybe they don't even do that anymore. There's probably no way they can do that. But in those days, they could do that. And those people, because we lived on this side of the tracks, and probably people that lived on the other side of the track, got these people coming to your door for food. So yeah, I remember my mother feeding them, like handing out food to them. In, in one sense, that was rather frightening for a child, but those were the days, those were the days. I want to say something back to World War, the end of World War II. I was probably eight years old, seven or eight years old when, when, the, world, when, the, when the Second World War ended. And in our community here, Monsignor Berdatsky, 
When the news came out from England that the war was over, the entire community, and it wasn't as large as it is today, the town proper probably is, but there's more people in the country now than there were then. But everybody came into town, organized by him, by him, and we paraded Main Street saying the rosary. Believe that or not, we did that. I was just, I was just a knee-high to a grasshopper. And in the parade, like that was big thing, big stuff way back then. Still keeping with, still keeping with World War Two. We had a few war brides that came back with our guys from Barry's Bay and area. So one was a Dutch girl by the name of Stanny, and she married Stanny, she married Tony Chipier. Another girl was Mary, and she married a Hearn boy. An English bride came back with a child, but her husband was killed just before the war ended, and his name was, I believe, Peter Bernatsky. I'm sure there were many others, but, well, there were many others that married after they got back to Canadian girls. But those are things that I remember, and I remember them coming from Pier from the pier in Halifax, I think Pier 51 or 71 or whatever it's called, Pier 51 I believe, maybe that's not right, but anyway, Pier 50 or 51 definitely, it might be 71 or 41. Uh, though that's where they landed and they came to Barry's Bay, these war brides and these men from down there on the train. And again, there was another gathering at the train station for these people these soldiers that were coming back. And they were from Wilno and, well, the whole area. But I just remember the, I, I know they were from Wilno because my mother was a chippier and in the church in Wilno, one of her relatives is there. And it ended up, my husband's two uncles are skibos and their pictures are there. So if anybody wants to look and see who the Wilno people were, those pictures are, I believe, are still in, in the vestibule at the back, or at the front, I guess you, well, no, at the back of the church, which is the front of the church going in. So that's a bit of history about that, about the war. In our household, we, we all had, we were well-fed and well-dressed and clean. There was no such thing as cookies and packages, and if you got once in the blue moon, if you got cookies, they were from a big box and they were weighed out by the pound. But everything was home cooking. And I, I personally have gone through life that we've gone from everything home cooked to everything bought from the store. But I think in this 21st century, things are going back a bit because people are really baking and cooking and doing all gardening and growing vegetables and all that kind of thing. So in my time, for sure, everybody had a garden and everybody was well fed and not too many people were ill. There were some, because there's always going to be illness, but there were some. Not, not like it is today. Not at all like it is today. I'm hesitating here. I've said to a few people since I come back here to live in 2015, and I left in 1954, so that's 61 years ago, but through life, 
after I got married to a local boy. We had a cottage at Pog Lake and we had a house later on Kamenisca, just down by the rock cut, going to Camomere. So I did spend a lot of time here when I could, when I could, uh, visiting and cottaging and whatever for many years. I've said to a few people on coming back home, I seem to have gone full circle. So I've said, you know, I could go up and down every street here in Barry's Bay and tell you who lived here in the 40s and 50s. And not too many are my age, so they're, they're just sort of mesmerized when I say that. I said, yeah, I could tell you who lived when, when where. And streets weren't named then. Everybody in town knew where everybody lived, and there were no, no names, no streets. So there was a little community called Ash, Asheville, which is part of Wilno Street, that area now. We were the public, where I lived, we were the Pog Lakeites. And then there was, uh, what else, center town and going out of town. And that's the way we knew where people lived. Very different today, isn't it? Yeah. We have to have GPSs to get to people today. Well, no, no GPSs needed then. Everybody knew everything, where everybody lived. And even in the country, if you lived in the country and knew somebody in the country and were going there, you'd say, well, take this road and down there and crossroads. And that's how it was. I myself have great memories of my grandparents. On my mother's side, my grandparents were Joseph and Mary Chipier. My mother was the oldest of ten children. There were nine girls and one boy. Get that now. My grandparents were really pretty well off. They probably didn't think so. Worked hard. Oh, they worked hard. And my grandfather had four farms, two in Wildo and two in Round Lake. Well, they were pretty good, pretty well off, but I think so anyway. They had everything they wanted. They had a dormitory in the farmhouse up above the kitchen. The, the, the table was made from a, an old-fashioned old piano, and the table was probably 20 feet long. They had a Finley Oval stove full of chrome. They had a pumped water in the kitchen. They had a pie rack corner cupboard. Then there was a summer kitchen. My grandmother had a bread box. Oh, I know all that because I saw it. And they had a cistern in the basement with a pump, another nice stove. All the cooking stuff in the summer kitchen had a, a, a board. It was probably four inches wide with an, an inch thick with hooks. That's where you put the pots and pans and spoons and all that kind of thing. Well, I was never so inclined, but I was a kid and I spent a lot of time there. And, well, I shouldn't say a lot of time. Well, visiting time, kind of. And sometimes not, not visiting, sometimes there. And when it came harvest time, oh man, that was big, big stuff. There were about four meals a day, maybe five. I remember breakfast, dinner, afternoon, and supper, and then another supper at 10 o'clock when it got dark and the men all came in. And they threshed the oats and grains and whatever. My mother, my mother, my grandmother had a, rat, a strawberry patch. I don't think ever since those days have I seen strawberries 
quite like what she had. My grandmother was a Truzinski, and she had three sisters. She was the only one that stayed in the area. The other three migrated to Kitchener. My grandfather's family, he had one brother in Wilno that worked for the railroad. Vincent Chipier worked for the railroad and himself, and he had two or three sisters. And the one sister was in Winnipeg, and she used to send stuff to my mother and if for me, because she had a daughter. So I thought, oh boy, that's something coming from Winnipeg. Another sister was in Michigan, and a couple of sisters were in California. When my parents had a 50th wedding anniversary, the people from California came here to Barry's Bay for our our festivities. I, I want to say something about the businesses on Main Street then. The the end, the going towards Madawaska, that end was pretty well all private homes, family homes. Moving down street, we had Coolis's general store on the corner. I can't remember what that street is, but just opposite the beer store on the same side. That, the Coolis family lived there, and the Coolises were my dad's first cousins. So they had a general store, like a grocery store, kind of in the front. And moving along, then there was the next house. A family by the name of Kitsis lived there. And uh, there's still one of the girls that I knew then, but older than I. She married a McCann and still lives in Eganville. Moving on, then there was the Beanish brothers and the Beanish family. And on the corner was an older home, and there was sort of a reclusive family lived there. Never saw them very much, but somebody from that household died, and we all went to the funeral, because that's how it was then. Everybody's casket was in the house, and Everybody paid their last respects, and I remember going in there, into that house, and it was nice, that house was very nicely architecturally designed. It was an older home, but it was nicely designed. Where Vito's is today was a private home. In that home, Dr. the dentist, Dr. the dentist, anyway, that's who we went to, to get dental work done. So... And then the back, he lived in the back of the house. Doc Irwin, there we go, I got it. Doc Irwin was there. Then on the corner there were Sullivan's. I lived on the corner where Felsky shoes are. Where the pet store is currently, that, that building was built by Henry Chapesky and his son Andrew, Andy, as we all knew him, ended up going to medical school. And when he was in high school, he was a builder of airplanes buff. He had airplanes in the windows, and it really certainly entertained us kids going by there, because like a model kind of thing, but they were huge airplanes. And the Chapaskis lived next door. Then, where Stedman's is, that, that probably was part of, part of the Chapaski property, and, and Maxi Mintha, worked for Stedman's and opened that store. Moving on to the next corner, there was nothing where Valerie's clothing store is now. Uh, the, the house on the corner was owned by Princess, and they had sort of a general store there 
when I get to the other side of the street, the, the doctor that was in a house on the other side of the street eventually moved in there and he had his office at the back of that store, which is now MAD. And the people lived up, the people that lived there were Tony Princes and they lived upstairs. I knew a couple of the girls and a couple of the boys. They were a bit older than me. Now where Esso is, there was what used to be an old hotel. But in my time, it wasn't a hotel. It was a restaurant, and Walter Gabry married a Shalla girl, Mary Shalla, and he had a restaurant there, but he also sold milk. He had a horse and milk and went door to door selling milk. And half of that building, there was an apartment there, and I know Bert Kelly and his new bride lived there for a while. Next door to that, where the subway is, John Drohan lived there. That was his home, with now the subway. And the home next to that is where Tommy O'Malley's lived, the O'Malley's. Loretta Murray was an O'Malley, but she's currently here living in Barry's Bay. And uh, there was Johnny and Phyllis, and well, there was as many in that family as there was in my own family. Well, that's where they lived. Now we're back on the other side of the street. I, I already mentioned where uh, Ambrose Palbeski, namely Jason, lived on the corner. And moving up the street, there were the Bleskis lived next door. Next door to them lived the Lefcheskis. So there was a lot of private homes at that time. And then there was um, a house where we now have, I guess, Andy Chepesky's old office building. And now we have Madawaska Coffee there. In that section of that street, there was an old white house, and the O'Malley's lived there before they moved to where I told you across the street at the end of the other side. So they had a pool room there. So the boys graduated, well, just boys that played pool those days. So uh, then, then after that, we had Sobolski's General Store. And where Burke's Jewelers is now, there was Paul Besky's general store where I worked. Part of it was general store, part of it was like a mini restaurant, Sundays and pop and that kind of thing, with uh, not tables, what, what do you call those? Oh. Well, like booths? Pardon? Like booths? Booths, thank okay. you, booths, yes. And they sold fishing tackle and worms and all that kind of stuff. And the Palbetskis lived in the back and upstairs, the same as the Sobolskis in the one prior to. Then we had a garage next door to that, where the drugstore is now. In my time, it was, originally it was Frank Sobolski's garage. Then the Conway brothers bought it when I was a teenager. Next to that was Frank Sobolski's home, Frank and Mary and, and Norbert, Father Norbert here from Mary's Bay, his home. And they sold it and built an, a new house on, on Bay Street going towards the church on the left-hand side, a red stone house on the left-hand side. So the, the Sobolski home then was turned into Dr. McDermott's home and office before he moved across the street to the Prince property. 
then moving along, we had the post office. It was always there. For me, anyway. And then we had the Bank of Montreal. It was always there. Then the next building was Slim Coolis. Well, you know what Slim did? His wife's name was Barbara. Uh, they had, I think, three boys and one girl younger than I, but not a whole lot. Um, he took in beer bottles. In those days, there wasn't a beer store yet. I'm going to talk about a beer, where the beer store was a bit later. He took in beer bottles. I guess you got your beer at the liquor store. I don't know. I wasn't old enough to go to the liquor store or the beer store, so I don't know. But he took in bottles. That's how he made a living. And they lived in that home, and one part of it was an ice cream parlor. All of us kids went there for Melrose. Oh, if you mention that today, Melrose, what's that? But that's what how ice cream was served there. It wasn't scooped, it was Melrose. And by Melrose, I mean it was like, when you get to the end of a, to a toilet paper roll, there's the brown roll. Well, the Melrose was like that, but it was white, and the ice cream was inside that, that size. Oh, okay. Got well, it? I've never heard of those. Yeah, Melrose. Mm-hmm. So, now we're crossing the tracks. The tracks were there. So, the Jordans live in the, lived in the White House. Kelly Street was not there in my time. The Jordan House was there. It's the White House just before the old Brick House. My dad's uncle and his family lived there, and they owned the building where the liquor store was downstairs. And my dad's uncle had the barber shop upstairs. And I remember boys saying, young men that were getting their hair cut, they'd say that the barber, the gentleman, would say to them, well, what's your father doing now? Things like that. Like, it was very social and very personal and whatever, and everybody seemed to like to go there. And then after that building, now I believe it's a flower shop downstairs and it's apartments upstairs and at the back. Then there was a whole bunch of property where, where where the chicken restaurant used to be, whatever they called it. That wasn't there. So us kids, we kids, could go there and slide on cardboard down into the gully. That was what we did. And all the kids in the town did that. In my family, we could go there to slide, but we could not, not repeat, go swimming. I, to this day, don't swim. Because at that time, there was lots of water around, and there were no classes, and nobody knew how to swim, and parents didn't know how to swim, and they didn't want to have any drownings, and on and on and on. So I never learned how to swim. I don't know about my two brothers. The younger ones, I'm sure, all swim, but in my family, I don't know about my two brothers, but I know I, don't, I still don't swim. The other thing we were not allowed to do was to go to Drogan's Lake in the winter to skate. And Drogan's Lake, well... It's on the other side of the tracks to get to it, or you can get it from get to it from Sand Hill because there's a street up in Sand Hill now with homes on it that butts onto Drogan's Lake. I think maybe I snuck once and went. Uh oh. <laughs> oh oh yeah. I think we all did. We all did to go skating, skating on the lake. And did you get caught or no? I think mom. I think mom and dad knew. You know knew. But never said anything. No, no. They warned us, though. They really warned us. <laughs> now I'm on the other. Now I'm back. I, I'm. I've got flight of ideas here. I'm jumping from one thing to That's another. Okay. 
Um, we're on the other side of the tracks now on the main street. I, I told you a little bit about who was there and the empty lots and where, where the chicken restaurant is or whatever it was called. Um, the next building, which now is called, oh, it's a kind of a fancy little store. It was a blacksmith shop and a, a Mr. Kluk owned that blacksmith shop. And where Grumbling Grannies, the old houses, they lived in the house next door. And he had the blacksmith shop. Across the way, where community living headquarters are now, that was Murray's store. Dan and Charlie Murray ran the store. Oh, I had a coat from there that my husband bought me, a Kenwood coat from out of that store. I had blankets from out of there as wedding presents and all that kind of stuff from out of that store. Anyway, we're going to go back to Dan across the street where, where his home was. So Dan decided he wanted to live closer to the store and he lived on, Dan lived right across from Metro where there's a beauty shop there now, that little cute little building right across from Metro, that small list. Yeah, I, I still don't know the streets in Barry's Bay after living here for five years. I, I just know where it is. Uh, anyway, that's where Dan lived. So Dan Murray approached the gentleman with the, the Mr. Kluke, the gentleman that had the blacksmith shop, and they swapped houses. Mr. Murray wanted to be closer to the store, and Mr. Kluke moved into that cute little house on the small little street there near Metro. Well, wasn't that something? Well, everybody thought that was just something else, swap, swapping houses. Can you imagine anybody swapping houses today? I don't think so. <laughs> Not easily anyways. No, no, be a lot no, of no. Stipulations, I'm sure. And now we're to the next house up there, past, past that house and the, the blacksmith shop, was the Doyle home. Well, at one time there was Bell Telephone. It was a small little Bell Telephone building there and now it's the library actually. That was a Bell Telephone building because my youngest aunt who's four years older than I am or was at that time worked there as a Bell Telephone operator in Barry's Bay. When you went ring ding-a-ding, two ding-a-ding and that kind of tell that was what our phone was like at home. You have to crank it up and party line. Well that was the Bell Telephone, now the library then we're moving on to the daily home. The, the gentleman that I said earlier that I babysat for, his, his dad, I never knew of, of his mom. She probably was gone, but his dad lived there. And eventually, it was the Beanish brothers that lived there. That house is still there, vacant. Then it's the Charlie Murray house, and we're getting to the church now. Charlie Murray house. And Charlie, they had a big family, the Murrays, and he lived close to the store. And then, I believe Community Living bought that house and still own it. And then it's St. Lawrence's Church. St. Lawrence's Church, in my time, during those early years, was a white clapboard church, and they outgrew it. In the early days of growing up here, we talk about diversity now, and racism and all that, and all that kind of stuff. But... You know, growing up here in Barry's Bay, we had a bit of that. It was the Irish and the Polish. We had an Irish church and a Polish church. Can you imagine? 
Polish people went to the Polish church, the Irish people went to the Irish church. But now it's a mixed bag. So there was that, I'm calling it diversity, or there probably is a better word for, yeah, better word than that. And Father Mac, we called him Father Mac, he was Father Mac tomorrow, and he was much like much like one, the Irish, the Irish name, Father McNamara there, Father Bernatsky over here. So he was very instrumental in education. I, and those days, I don't know if they had school boards, they must have had somebody selected. I was a school board trustee myself for 10 years, so that was an elected position. But I don't believe in my time growing up here um, that it was a, an elected official. It probably just took it on himself. So Monsignor Bernaski did the, the recreational kind of thing and Father Mac did the kind of educational kind of thing. So I'm going to stop there. Oh no, I have to say a couple of more things. Across from the Irish church there was uh, the Coolis's. Tommy Coolis lived there. He had a garage and next door where there's I don't think anything now a lot was Yakabuski's store and funeral. It wasn't a parlor. It was whatever went on with corpses and getting them ready and delivering them and that kind of thing. But I don't believe Mr. Yakabuski was ever a full-fledged undertaker. He just learned the trade somehow. I don't know that, but I'm guessing. So that kind of gives you the idea of the of the main street. Oh, and the, and the steam engine train coming into town regularly. You could go to Pembroke or Renfrew or wherever, Ottawa to shop and Quisley. And I, my family, after I was married and we had our daughter, we came up from Ottawa on that last, very last steam engine train from Ottawa to Barry's Bay and skied. Skied when the ski hill was a ski hill way back then. So my how things changed. Isn't it nice that that Barry Space still has the station and will know should have kept theirs. But some things disappeared like our school here by St. Hedwig's Church. That sh in my eyes that should have never happened, but it happened. And we have no control over that. So uh, the women in Barry's Bay at the time, couples, it was the men that worked. There was no such a thing as this 50-50 thing and I got a career and you got a career and it was none of that. The women kept the house and the men worked. That's how it was. For me, the careers in 1954, from what I could see, were nursing, teaching and secretarial. Well, I was never going to be a secretary. I, I can't stand paper. I can't stand sitting. I need a challenge and I wasn't going to do somebody else's thoughts or typing or whatever. So my mother said to me, what are you going to do? So I said, well, I guess I'm either going to be a teacher or a nurse. Well, she said, how's that going to work? Well, I said, I'm going to apply to either or and whoever I hear from first is what I'll do, where I'll go. And that's exactly what happened. But for me and in my career, I was very fortunate because I was able to nurse and I was able to teach nursing. It wasn't school, but it was school for many years. In those days when you graduated, life 
lifelong learning was sort of expected of you, and it didn't matter what the career was. So I kind of went to school till I was 50. I tell people that I don't think my family even knew that till I was 50. And I remember we were going to Florida for Christmas that year for a week or two, and I said to my husband, that's it for me, I'm done. I wrote my last exam on the 23rd of December that year and went to Florida and never looked back. So, lifelong learning. That isn't a new concept now and hasn't been for a long time because I think that really started, well, probably in the late 50s, early 60s, somewhere there, lifelong learning. And if you wanted to advance in your career, that's what you had to do. As far as my, I'm not going to call them mentors, or people that I looked up to that were in high school when I was in the lower grades, there was a Teresa Shallon and Agatha Coolis and Jackie Prince and Jackie Ampa and those four girls went to nursing school and I'm talking now 40s I'm 50s they were 40s and I thought hmm I can do that that was guidance don't all of you laugh now that was guidance there was no such thing as guidance in my time I suppose, I suppose in those days the nuns all thought we were, the girls were all going to be nuns and the boys were all going to be priests. Ha ha. That didn't happen. Well, it happened a bit, but not a whole lot. Yeah, not as frequently as they expected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I kind of looked up to those ladies and I thought, well, yeah, you know, they're in high school and so on and so forth. So, well, I guess that's what you do. That's what you do in the early 50s. So that's what I did. And I probably... I myself probably had many mentors in nursing because I do know in the city of Ottawa shopping very, very often I, I would be approached, if you can imagine, in a city by somebody that I hardly remembered and they'd call me by name and my husband would say to me, now who's that? And I'd say, I haven't a clue, but it was probably a student I had, student nurse that I had. Yeah. And that, that went on for years, for years, for years. And he'd say, oh, good Lord. You know, you'd think, good Lord, they remember you, but you don't remember. Well, I said, well, no, no, I don't. How many of them compared to you, though? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> just mm -hmm. imagine. So I remembered a lot of them, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Not all of them. But if I heard the name, then maybe I could picture the person. Yeah. Uh, so that's how my career started as a 17-year-old, away from home, the oldest. Yeah, life was good. We worked hard, studied hard, didn't play hard, didn't play hard. Whoa, we had curfews. I have to throw that out. We had to be in. If we, if we went out at night, you had to be in by 10. And and we had one, one late leave. Now, this, all of you that are going to be listening to this will chuckle. We had one late leave a week till 11. And I remember one of my friends, she was from Palmer Rapids. We both lived in Ottawa for 100 years. And, and when I say 100, take me literally. Um, we came in five minutes late one night after 11. And the director of nursing was Sister St. Elizabeth, and she was old. This must have been our first year. and. She was sitting in the rocking chair, waiting for us. Well, I got the calling down. 
I thought, oh my God, I'll be, oh, they'll be sending me home for sure. I'll be going home. Yeah, for being five minutes late. And I forget exactly what she said to my friend. But my friend was not a Catholic. And in those days, there was, in my class, there were about four non-Catholics. I always said to my friend, you got away with murder because you weren't a Catholic. You just got away with murder. Well, they'd laugh and giggle. Well, if I would have said to our director what she said to our director, I would have been on the next bus home. She said to the director, well, she must, the, the director must have said something about, well, I should send you girls home or something. Later, we decided she'd never do that. But at the time, you know, we were... You weren't sure. Young and right there. And my friend said to her, well, sister, I need my toothbrush. I have to go up to the... And I thought, oh, God, we're all, well, the two of us are going home now. That was discipline. <laughs> but I guess the fear of the Lord was in us. And what, five minutes late, no kidding, no kidding. Uh -huh. The door was locked at 11 o'clock. I guess maybe, I don't remember, but I guess you had to open the door to let us in. Oh, dear God. Anyway, can you imagine telling that to high school kids today? <laughs> I know even for myself, I've definitely been home past curfew in high school. Home, home curfew. Yeah, yeah. At home, at your home, you yeah. mean, at your own home. Yeah. yeah. So, so, really, we went on, we, as I said, we worked hard, studied hard, didn't have too much social life. But, you know, I'm very politically inclined, and I'm a reader, and I attribute that to this very same director. Every Wednesday in nursing, we had what was called residence night. Didn't matter what you were doing, if you weren't working, didn't matter what you were doing, you had to go to residence night. Well, I didn't know what the World Series was until she questioned us on the World Series and current events and politics. I learned quickly. Boy, did I learn. I knew hockey from here in Barry's Bay, but it wasn't on the NHL level. Uh, at the time, we probably thought it was the worst thing on earth. Why do we have to go down there? And why do we have to do this? And why, 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 why? But in hindsight, it was a great thing for me because I really love politics. And over the years, I've been involved in politics on the federal level, the provincial level, and the municipal level. And even on my own level as a school board trustee. At the same time that my husband was a municipal councillor, I guess at that time, later on, the mayor. So, been there, done that. And I really believe that that kind of upbringing gives you a broad, good perspective on life. Because you not only have a career, and I definitely was a career girl. No, no ends, if, buts, or maybes. Couldn't stand cooking. Always had somebody cleaning. I was working. I wasn't spending my weekends running around with a vacuum cleaner. No way. Going to school, you know, all those kinds of things. So, out of Barry's Bay during my time, yes, we had people, probably out of those large classes, not many that went on to school, but we had some, we had some that did, and did well, did well. You know, pharmacists, nurses, teachers, doctors, lawyers, whatever, and many other careers. I, I don't want to miss anything because uh, 
I, you know, really, for me, in hindsight, I've had good memories. Good. Oh, there were some that weren't so good when my brothers died, when they were babies and that kind of thing. But that goes on, in, not in everybody's life, but in a lot of people's lives. But for the most part, life was good. Life was good. And we, I wore, um, not a costume, well, I guess it, you could call it a costume, a uniform. Ours were black. They eventually changed to green and blue and jumpers and that kind of thing, but ours were black. When I was in high school, I used to barter with Mom, because, God, I hated cooking, or I, I just bartered. I'd say, Mom, I'm going to iron my uniform and wash these, clean these cuffs and collars, if she'd say I had to help with the dishes or whatever it was. I always had a way out of the kitchen. And I got away with it. I got away with it. So I get the, the convent dress. We used to call them convent dresses. Well, that's what they were, basically. Black. Big tie in the front and stiff collars and cuffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we wore. There was no such thing as Miss, Miss So-and-so has uh, a Nygaard scarf on or a Nygaard jacket on or whatever brand. Brand? We didn't know what a brand was, really. Really, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Where the apartments are on Main Street, the Zelnys lived. The Zelnys built that building where the apartments are on Main Street, the white down the corner, and they had a store there. My my dresses and my graduation dress and all that came from there. They she had some beauty. She was a woman ahead of her time, and she dressed the men and women in this community for years. I could have bought them in wherever, but I bought them. There, locally, locally, shop locally. I said earlier that I could name who lived in every house, but I, I'm not really going to go there because it would be difficult to follow me, but wherever people lived at that time, but everybody knew everybody, and it was just like one big happy family, really, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and we got... We got to know the country kids in church, in church. Uh, my brother, who taught school, he's taught out in Pog Lake in a one-room school. And, he, you know, even to this day, he'll say, I taught so-and-so, and I taught so-and-so, and I taught so-and-so, you know, country people, country people. Eventually, the country schools closed, and I think for the local kids, Sherwood School out by the hospital. They all came into to the new school. And I, I never got that. I never got that. Because most of those kids were Catholics. And we had to go to the Catholic school, which was fine. I mean, that's what it was. But why would the, or the separate, with the separate school was Catholic, and the public was non-Catholic, but all these kids that were Catholic went to the public school. I, I never could figure that out. Or whose thinking that was, mm -hmm. and and well, today it's altogether different. You can go to whatever school you want, whether you're Catholic or not, really. Yeah. So, but I could never understand that. Why couldn't they go to our school? Why did they have to build another school? But it was politics involved there because one was public and one was separate. So that there was church politics, probably, mm -hmm. probably. I want to say something about our suppers at the church for years. 
and Ball. Oh, Ball was big too. There was some heat in this. Monsignor Bernatsky was a good ball player. Tommy Murray and MJ Murray and Howard Advansky. Though they, they they all had a great ball team here. Well, then Monsignor Bernatsky decided we needed a hospital here in Barry's Bay in the 50s. Like I was still around when when the hospital talking came about. And every, these suppers and picnics and all that kind of stuff, that was to fundraise so that we could have a hospital here in Mary's Bay. After many years of fundraising, that happened. When I finished nursing, we had a, a, a doctor in town here by the name of Dr. Dooley, and for some reason he thought, or asked me, if I wanted to be his nurse. I thought, office nurse? No, I don't want to do that. So I said no to that. And it was a new concept then, back in 1957. But I said no, no, I didn't want to do that. Funny how you make up your mind. Mm -hmm. You do, you just, like I was just focused. So I remember at the church here, just around the bend, when you're going around by the cemetery, there were stables there. And I remember many years as a kid growing up, the farmers coming in from Pog Lake to go to Midnight Mass and the bells ringing on the horses. Remember that? Yeah, God. Horses were in the stables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To us kids, probably, but certainly for us kids that lived in town, it was pretty good. It really was pretty good. Maybe we didn't think it was, but it was. But I, I don't ever remember of anybody around really complaining. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I, we, we had a good up. Well, I did, certainly. And you could do whatever you wanted to do. Moggison dances and, you know, who's Moggison dance? Well, that's dancing in rubber boots, you know, that's Moggison. I guess people have Moggisons on. Yeah, that kind of thing. So there was always something to do. My mother, I, people here now tell me I'm much like my mother, but I'm built like my dad tall and lean, but I'm like my mother in personality. My mom ended up working at the hospital and she was eventually, before she retired, she was the head of the dietary department. She fed the people and the staff and did whatever at the hospital. So, you know, in later life, when she raised all these kids, or nearly raised all these kids, and we were, like I said earlier, three families, sorta, so to speak, because of our age difference, she decided to go to work. And I thought, good for her, good for her. I was a full-fledged nurse when my sister Pauline was born. I was in the labor room because in those days, dads weren't allowed in the labor room. My dad was in the little waiting room. And I remember saying to my dad, after Pauline was born, we have this scrawny little girl, four pounds something. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's small. Mm -hmm. And she's still small, she's short. And, yeah. <laughs> funny how it works out. Isn't it funny, eh? Isn't it? She lives, you know where the hospital is in the helipad? Mm -hmm. Well, the house right next door is where she lives. She's a beautiful home. And yeah, that's a very nice house. I always looked she, at yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And you should see the backyard, huge salt pool. Oh. And, wow, you know. makes mm -hmm. it even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's where she lives. And she's 21 years younger than I am. Time now for a short break. But don't be long, 
back in the day host Martina Coolis will be back soon enough gathering many more fascinating details in her wide-ranging conversation with Marita Rakuski, who, at 83, has some great memories of what it was like to grow up in Barry's Bay back in the day. <laughs>